Hey guys, welcome to Why My Parents Worry About Me. I'm Mana. And I'm Taylor, and you're listening to a podcast where we spin the globe, land on a random city, and share stories of true crime, folklore, and a touch of paranormal that truly make our parents worry about us. So Taylor, I know you've been keeping really busy lately. How's it been? It's been so fun. I obviously got a cricket machine like last year. Fun things. And I finally have the time to really dive into it and become obsessed with it. Um, and I'm doing like car decals and sweatshirts and stickers and it's a fun little medium to be playing with. You have yet to buy, you have yet to make me anything. I know. Well, so here's, (laughs) I still have to help you with your resume too. Yeah. You like, Taylor messaged me maybe like weeks ago and was like, can I do your resume? And I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, this sounds like so great. Sure. Um, Why not? Where is it? (laughs) Also my graduation photos. Cause that's coming up next month. I know. I have to do that. Mana asked me to edit. I'm paying you. <laughs> in breadsticks. In Olive Garden breadsticks. <laughs> yeah, Taylor's helping me. So I took some pictures before I left for Korea as graduation photos. I say in quotation marks. Um, so it was really raining that day. So I need Taylor's crazy good Photoshop skills to make it Thanks, look man. like I actually just graduated. Yeah. So we're changing uh, the sky in a couple of them to be not so gloomy. Uh, and we're going to just oomph it up a little bit, make it aesthetically pleasing. The thing is, though, phones are pretty crazy now, so you can do just about anything with your phones. I mean, they're not as like high quality as a professional camera, but these phones are getting crazy. I changed from Android to iPhone the other day. Hell yeah. I don't think we've ever talked it. about that. <laughs> I mean... It was a big change for you. You've always been an Android. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've used Mac products because I do creative work. So my computer, my uh, iPad, all are Mac products. And I don't know why I didn't jump on the iPhone train. I think it's because it was status quo. But holy crap, their cameras are so good. I digress. Um, So yeah, I've been doing a lot of really creative, fun things uh, in work and also out of work. And um, switching everything over to iPhone. And that's basically what I've been doing the last several weeks. Um, But you've had an exciting last couple of days. You got laser eye surgery, huh? I did get laser eye surgery. Um, It's very exciting because I've Uh never been able to see. (laughs) Yeah. Like a normal person. Right. Um, My prescription's always been really bad. So I've always been wearing contacts or glasses. So... Mm Um, LASIK eye surgery is like really expensive. So that part really sucked. And I had a whole like panic attack in the room, but I survived. <laughs> I literally have like no idea how you, cause we've talked about you being anxious, like before the operation mm-hmm. and like you having no chill because of the anticipation. Yeah. I have really been at like anticipation anxiety. Mm-hmm. So if once it's like happening or after something happens, I'm good. Like mm-hmm. I'm totally fine. But this anti- anticipation of the unknown yeah. that freaks me out. Yeah. Um, I so, was surprised. You were like Snapchatting and like you're, you seemed pretty chill going into but, it. I mean, I'm literally talking to the desk lady, like nothing's wrong. She's like, I love your hair. I'm like, thank you. I'm really <laughs> just going back and forth. And then the second I get in the room, I'm like, hello, I'm about to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> hello, you did not knock me out enough. <laughs> no, I, I was like, how do I tell these people I need more drugs without uh-huh. sounding like a drug addict? Yeah. Because my problem is like, um, 
So they give you like anxiety drugs to try mm-hmm. to calm you down. But yeah. um, some my anxiety can get so bad, and also I like I my dad is somebody who also doesn't get that affected by drugs. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got that like genetically where I need a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So they gave me like two dosages, and I felt nothing. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, how do I ask for more without being like, hey, I need more. <laughs> hey, <laughs> <I'm> sorry. Um- <laughs> My mom was like, you can't ask a doctor. You cannot tell a doctor you burned through meds. That sounds very bad. I was like, well, I know. Just did. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. If you need it, you need it. I am very, you're your own advocate, you know? Like, you I know what know. your body needs and nobody else is going to advocate for you. So. Well, from I'm now on, it. I'm sticking by it. Um, yeah. Because I also, when I get like the shot at the dentist to numb your mouth, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Yeah. I also freak out about that. Just, I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I know I'm fine. I know it hurts a little bit. It's whatever. Yeah. But my brain's like, nope, you got to well, freak out. <laughs> I've had it where I, they've either taken too long or they didn't give me enough. I remember clear as day. I was, I want to say maybe nine or 10 about to get my braces and they they decided that because I have a smaller jaw and a just a small face, i I'm a petite person, a petite tall person. Small face. I do. I just have like the smallest head. Um, really quick. I like the fact that most of our viewers don't, might not know what we look like. And yeah. so whenever I think of you, just imagine uh-huh. thinking of a really tall person with a small head. Oh, like a Q-tip. Love yeah. that. <laughs> that's what they're picturing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a Q-tip lady. But they like did the numbing shot. I could feel every single thing that they did. It wasn't like, oh, like, oh, there's a little pressure. Like, Ow. And so when I got my wisdom teeth removed, I was like, listen, I have anxiety surrounding numbing. Mm-hmm. Please give me as much as you physically can. <laughs> Just pile it in me. And I panicked because I couldn't feel my tongue and I couldn't feel myself swallowing. And I was like trying to communicate that with my mom. They overdid it. That's so funny. They overdid it. So I had an experience where they underdid it and where they overdid it. I mean, imagine just waking up and seeing because that's how have people always what a just mood. woke up and seen? Like, what how a do you mood. see? I have no idea. It's, that's a very strange concept to me because when I wake up, everything is blurry and then I just yeah. see May's face just like hovering. Your cat's face, boom. Yeah. Just meow. It's time to eat. <laughs> Find my food while you're blind. Thank That's you. why you should think about getting done. Just I know. maybe. I would love to. It's expensive though. Um, my friend in oh. Korea, actually, um, he's an American in Korea. He mm-hmm. was getting LASIK the same day I was, but in mm-hmm. Korea, mm-hmm. which I thought was really funny. And his was about $1,000 cheaper. Really? Really? So you should have done USD it while cheaper. you were in school. I know. Mistakes. But they don't give you any meds, so I really want to freak out. Oh, down. wow. Yeah. I've seen, I've watched the surgery before. Oh God. Oh like, no. No, thank like you. Like what it looks like. And I think it was from the Kim Kardashian episode. I swear. It's so funny. I swear it's like a deep <laughs> That's memory. That's the only thing they remember is that Kim Kardashian episode. I don't know why. I don't know why I have this memory, dude. I truly do not know why. Of watching I, the Kardashians. It has to be from the Kardashians because where else would I I would not have Googled laser eye surgery. I mean I would have, but <laughs> I don't think don't I would have done now. that. Don't <laughs> I'm Google not going now. to. I love the uh, ambiguity of it, but yeah. The idea of someone cutting into my eyeball does scare me. I don't know how you did it. Um, literally just... Don't think doctor. about it. Just the poor doctor is all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were trying to be like, keep me calm. And I, 
Yeah. Please stop moving. I was like, I'm trying. I literally don't feel myself moving, but I guess I am. I'm so sorry. And then I left the room and they were like, so how do you feel? I was like, fine. <laughs> like that was not it. Like, great. Like once it was over, I was good. <laughs> it was just during it. And then it stung afterwards and burned. And then I just slept for 12 hours, but you new day seeing- and I feel pretty good. Yeah. I, it's, it's a little bit blotchy, mm-hmm. but I can see. So that's nice. So where are we going this week? We are in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Okay. So I'm going to be talking about the crimes committed by Hans von Zoon. Starting with a little bit about him, as I always do. He grew up as a very quiet child. It was said that he was a dreamer and was often preoccupied by his own thoughts and his own feelings, which really does go hand in hand with what his mother is quoted by saying. Um, His mother was quoted saying that he was a selfish child um, and she puts a lot of blame on herself because she made him feel growing up that he was the center of the universe. And so that's why she thinks that he was really preoccupied with his own thoughts, his own ways and his own feelings. On top of him growing up thinking that he was the center of the universe, Hans was quite the liar. Like manipulative liar or Mm -hmm. was he at least a good liar? Not really. He got fired from a lot of his positions because of his issues with dishonesty. And while out and about meeting others, he spoke about working for the CIA, movie stars, (laughs) a private detective, a fashion designer, and a famous tycoon. At least make it real, like, believable. Right. Yeah. Like, say you work for the stock market or something. All of these are obvious lies to me. Like, I I don't know anybody that's going to be like... A fashion designer. He was an excessive liar, and unfortunately, he was blessed with the halo effect. Have you ever heard of the halo effect? No, tell me more. So, um, those that aren't familiar with the halo effect, it's basically when you think someone is trustworthy because they are attractive, dressing well, or are well-groomed in accordance to society's standards. That's wild, because Mm -hmm. I distrust those people the most. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the opposite of the halo effect. (laughs) So, you like, uh... Like, people that look like they don't take showers? Um, okay, questionable if you put it that way. But if you're, like, well-dressed and I mm-hmm. think that you – I guess, honestly, it comes down to the idea that if you look like you have a lot of money, I don't trust you. So he was able to manipulate them enough into thinking that he was a good person to think that he wouldn't do such bad deeds. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's basically the halo effect. Um, the actual definition is the halo effect – is a perceptive distortion or cognitive bias that affects the way people interpret the information about someone that they have formed a positive gasset. An example of halo effect is when a person finds someone they have formed a positive uh, impression with um, has cheated on his or her taxes. Because of the positive feeling, the person may dismiss the significance of this behavior. They may even think the person simply made a mistake. The person would justify the behavior and connect the positive feelings with them. The halo mm-hmm. effect refers to the tendency we have of evaluating an individual's height of many traits because of a shared belief. Okay. Long story short, Hans was very charming. So now that we kind of understand who Hans was, let's jump into his first date with a girl named Ellie Hagerseger. So on the evening of July 1964, Ellie and Hans went on their first date. After the date, Hans pretended to miss his train home and asked Ellie if he could spend the night with her. 
She allowed it. They continued to her home where they later engaged in sexual relations. It was said that they were consensual, but being that they both were the only individuals in the home at the time and Hans being a liar, I'm not quite sure if I believe this, but Mm -hmm. he's adamant that the first time that they had sex was consensual. The next morning, Ellie got up early to leave for work when Hans asked to be intimate with her again. This time, Ellie declined, stating that she was having to leave for work early. Um, He went red with anger and strangled Ellie to death. Hans later took a bread knife and cut her throat just to make sure that she wouldn't wake up after he had strangled her. How got overkill. Yeah. This is something that we continue to see with him. So a year later, Hans was in Amsterdam where he met a gay film director. It was rumored that he was murdered on September 20th, 1965. Claude's body was found eight days later in um, a channel. He was wrapped up in a tarp with rope and weighed down by rocks. His skull had been smashed in and his car was later found under one of the bridges um, over by Amsterdam Central Station, which was a popular meeting location for other gay men. Um, while Hans confessed to this crime, he later take, he took it back saying that um, he didn't do it. Of course, they always freaking do that. So do we know in the future if you're going to tell us if he actually did do it or not? Um, well, he confessed to the crime, um, and he later claimed that he only knew the details of the crime because he had um, psychic visions. Oh, okay. Never yeah. mind. Continue. So, basically, he said, I I did it, and then didn't want to be processed for his crime, so he said that he didn't do it, but uh, we all know Sorry. that psychic visions isn't going to be enough to... Uh, does that hold up in court? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I so hope I not. <laughs> I don't really know how he got out of that or if he got out of that, if he got jail time for it and then was released. But he later got married to an Italian chambermaid named uh, Caroline Gagali. He actually admitted to police that he was planning on murdering her. Because of this, they put him in jail for only a month. And it wasn't necessarily the reason why he was going to jail. He was actually on probation at the time of him admitting that he wanted to murder her. So he basically just got jail for a month because he violated probation and also admitted to wanting to kill her. So he, because he was a criminal and because he like thought he was the best in the universe, he really didn't believe in like working and he had really bad work ethic. Um, and he he was really bad at having a steady income so what he would do is after he got off of probation and well he was after he got out of prison he decided that he was going to start taking photos of his wife and then sell her pornographic images to other men oh Um, and that's how he got money yeah that's how he got his money while he was married with with her he also continued to have affairs on the side one of his mistresses was named Kobe Vanderhart, and it was said that he was also selling photos of her as well. Their relationship eventually ended in April 1967, but Kobe allegedly insisted that they stayed together. I don't know if this is true or not, but to resolve this, Hans hatched up a plan to kill her. So on April 19, 1967, he drugged her 
and then hit her with a lead pipe. So this was the first time that he kind of changed his MO. Um, he stripped her body and then he began to stab her with a bread knife, which is typical of him. Um, after she had died, Hans unsuccessfully raped her corpse, but he successfully evaded police. However, one of two things happened. The first is that he bragged about his crimes to a man named Arnoldus um, Rentenberg, and he was nicknamed Old Knoll. The second being that Old Knoll saw him uh, trying to rape the corpse. Like, he was a criminal as well. Oh, okay. Um, so, I don't know like- what his crimes were prior to getting out of prison, but he had already served time, and he was an ex-convict at the time. Okay. So... I found on some sources they said that he was like a dad to him. Other sources said that he saw him raping the corpse and that's why they had this arrangement. Um, It doesn't matter either way because he found out about it um, and Hans became the subject of blackmail. So um, old Noel, he was like, you committed this act you kill this woman and then you tried to rape her corpse. I'm going to blackmail you and you have to do a handful of robberies for me and you have to kill a handful of people for me. So, so now he's like a hired like he's a, yeah. killer, essentially, he's a, but not hired, just blackmailed. Blackmailed assassin. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, so he was supposed to commit two robberies alongside him. The first robbery happened on May 31st, 1967. The victim was called um, Jan Dunce, and their nickname was Uncle Cupid. Um, they were a 80-year-old shoekeeper at a party supply store. The second robbery occurred on August 21st, 1967, and the victim was a milkman named uh, R- Riger D. Brugen. Mm-hmm. And he stole money and jewelry and then shared it with old Noel. Um, and then he gave it to his girlfriend at the time. The final victim was named Dora Wartmeyer, who was a former girlfriend of old Noel. Um, Hans hit her in the head with a lead pipe and left her for dead. This was Hans first mistake and also very unlike him. Um, we know that he usually would come back after strangling or beating someone and stab them or slice them with the bread knife. Um, Mm -hmm. He didn't do that with her. Um, And she actually ended up surviving the attack. And she was later able to identify Hans um, and Noel to police in photographs. Oh, slit. Good for her. Mm -hmm. So the police arrested Hans on December 13th, 1970, in March of the following year, he was sentenced to life imprisonment, um, which is great. However, oh no! Obviously, he's a gentleman and charming and all these amazing things, um, and he was able to get a lighter sentence because of this. So he was tried for the murders that were related to the robberies but he was not tried for Ellie or Claude. So they don't know for sure if he killed them, but because he like admitted to the murder of the film director, they're saying that he did it. 
They just didn't try yeah. him for it. And then with Ellie, they just think it was him, but they didn't have enough evidence to put him on trial for it. That's always the hard part when you mm-hmm. know it's them, but you can't. Yeah, it's they don't not have fair. evidence for it. And um, once he got to prison, he met Riot Vanderbrink. She was a therapist and social worker. Oh, no. They fell in love. <laughs> Girl. Yeah. He had sex with a dead body. Yeah. And she's a therapist, so she, like, knows the implications of this the emotional. This is like emotional... Harley Quinn Joker thing. It's messed up. I hate this story. Um, they got married in 1974. <laughs> it's wild. I know. It makes me so mad, dude. Um, so he lived in prison, but because he was married to her um, and he was a gentleman and, like, mm, yeah, wow, um, he had a very comfortable lifestyle compared to other prisoners, um, which is unfortunate. And... Right. He was released early in 1986 after good behavior. He was allowed to have his sentence cut down to a third of his original time because of his good behavior, which is crazy. He should not be out. He killed multiple people. Mm -hmm. Multiple people raped them. um, And his attacks were kind of brutal. Like they weren't, they were very personal. Yeah. Um. So once he was released, the press really loved him because obviously his crimes are very, very heinous um, and terrible. And um, just they, running wild. Right. And so they ended up bothering him most of his entire life, but especially after he got released. They just loved taking pictures of him and bothering him. I'm picturing um, like USA Today, like how they bother celebrities. and like, But they just bother Hans. He was married for quite a while. He ended up divorcing his wife in 1995 um, because he had an excess- excessive drinking problem, which later became the reason that he died. So um, they divorced in 1995. He died in 1998. At his funeral were only a few people. Um, he had his ex-wife, a handful of neighbors, a random acquaintance, an employee of the Van Missig uh, clinic, his lawyer, and a journalist. A random acquaintance? As serious? <laughs> I am serious. That's what the sources said. It said a random acquaintance. <laughs> I met him on the road and now I'm here. The journalist was like writing down everybody's name that was there and they were going to print it in the newspaper and they're like, what's your relationship with him? And they were like, I don't want to be involved. Just say I'm an acquaintance. Yeah. <laughs> but you were saying. Oh, yeah. But I was saying that's why my parents worry about me. Are you ready for my story? I am. So Taylor was actually going to do this story first and she texted me about it and then <laughs> she changed her story and me being me was like, I'm going to do this story. And she was like, that's literally the story I texted about to you about yeah. last week. And I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. Anyways, so <laughs> if I miss anything, please let me know. <laughs> I will. Literally, I wrote like two paragraphs into the story and, and my research and then I was like, but Hans. <laughs> yeah. And I'm now I'm not going to give it any justice. <laughs> no, you're good. I only know like the first, like the first couple details of the case. And then I know nothing. So okay. I'm excited. I want to hear the ending. That makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, totally. So this week I'm doing the kidnapping of Freddie Heineken. Is that how you pronounce Heineken, right? <laughs> it's beer. a literal famous alcohol. Yeah, but I don't drink beer. But why would you ask me? (laughs) I also don't drink beer. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're not frat boys. In case you're unaware of who Freddie Heineken is, he is 
or was one of Europe's richest men. He was the grandson of the founder of Heineken Brewery, and he was one who built his family brewery into a multi-billion dollar powerhouse. He was the CEO and chairman of the board of directors of Heineken International. So just like a really big, powerful, rich man. So on November 9th, 1983, gunmen seized him and his chauffeur, Ab Doderer, um, outside of Heineken's Amsterdam headquarters. They were holding guns, and there was a slight scuffle as they pushed both of them into a delivery van. Um, neither actually knew the other one was being kidnapped, but like the driver assumed that it was for Heine, um, was for Freddie, but Freddie didn't know his driver was also kidnapped at the same time. Mm. So those involved in the kidnapping was Cor Van Hout, Wilhelm Holleder, whose father was actually an employee of the brewery some time ago, but was dismissed for his behavior. Franz Meyer, um, is it Jan? I probably Jan, like Jan Bullard. Four people met as teenagers slash young adults. And um, later they added Martin Erkamps um, to their little gang of kidnappers. And they'd mm-hmm. been preparing this for two years. Mm-hmm. So they have been surveilling his mansion, his office, and taking note of his daily routine. They had originally tried to kidnap him at his home, but Freddie never showed up that day. So it was like months later until the actual kidnapping occurred. So originally the kidnapping was meant to last only 42 eight hours but it stretched to 21 days or three weeks so it was a very long kidnapping um where freddie and his driver um ab were just hidden in a a hut in -hmm. like a secluded wooded area it belonged to bullard's wood manufacturing company in a western Mm -hmm. part of amsterdam's harbor area Hmm. so it's kind of like hidden away and it was just back there Mm -hmm. um The hut was prepared in advance. It had double walls on one end and two soundproof cells with a hidden door with a false wall that kind of hid it. Mm -hmm. So originally the hut was 42 meters long, but that was four meters shorter than it was in the inside. So essentially it was like the hidden rooms. So if somebody came in, they wouldn't find the hidden cellars right away. What were they doing inside there? (laughs) Like (laughs) Freddie and his driver were just like there for three weeks. Freaking out. Yeah. So at the time, they were chained to the wall in separate cells, and they didn't, like I said, it took them a while of being chained up to realize that each other was still in there Mm -hmm. because they were so separated in the little tiny cells. And Mm -hmm. so the kidnappers, when they were not working, they would provide them for them, like feeding them and giving, just pretty much giving them food. They had a small, like Freddie and Ab had like a mattress and a chemical toilet so they could do their business and sleep, but it really Mm -hmm. was not anything special. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to keep normalcy in their routines, their kidnappers would keep going to work and then come back, feed them, and like leave again. Later, after being kidnapped, Freddie had stated to the police that he was worried that he'd been kidnapped by Germany's notorious Red Army faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, but however, when he found out that he wasn't kidnapped by them, he did not not bow to the kidnappers and kept a sense of humor about it all. He <laughs> complained about the food and the conditions, and the kidnappers were like, "Are are you serious? <laughs> You're you've been talk kidnapped. about privilege? <laughs> no, for real." He was like, uh, "Hello." He's like, "I'd uh, like to speak to the manager." <laughs> Thanks, he <was> Karen. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of smart though because he's. He told the police that he kept a slice of bread for the next morning every night okay. in case there wouldn't be food the next day, which is smart, just preparing for if somebody were not to show up or if there's going to mm-hmm. be a problem. Uh, unlike Freddie, the driver, Ab, really struggled. He did exercises while locked up the best he could to try to keep his mind awake and stop himself from freaking out, but he was pretty stressed. Mm-hmm. 
Both were forced to pose for proof-of-life photos and had to communicate with each other via notes. What did the kidnappers want? They wanted a giant ransom. Uh, like, one of the biggest ransoms in Europe, European sorcery. Is the reason why they were in there for 21 days because the ransom was so big? Yes. Okay. Um, the problem is, is that they wanted a lot of money, and then the police couldn't find any leads. And there's a lot of media storm around this, so that made it mm-hmm. even harder to get any information. So the police were kind of stuck. And okay. that's why um, there was, like, so I'll kind of get into it. Like, so when the ransom was being... When they're trying to collect the ransom money, they would put notes for a small police station, and the police station would talk to the bigger police stations, like people with more manpower. Mm-hmm. And eventually, they were able to put a signal for the ransom being ready with an ad in the paper under the guise of the meadow is green for the hair, Freddie being the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happened is they wanted an armed, armed officer to carry the ransom to a marked van near Heineken's home. But the reporters surrounding the mansion made it impossible to get through. So Mm -hmm. after that kind of fell through, there was silence again for a couple, like a week. Mm -hmm. So that's why it kind of took so long because the ransom never was able to fully work out. Well, there's always something. Yeah. (laughs) It's always like there's too many people around. Somebody didn't get a message. I have to say the kidnappers were smart in the way that they didn't get impatient. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure they did, but they were smart about it in the end. Yeah. Um, Because it didn't become a problem until the police got an anonymous tip where they began to zone in on the gang. Like I said, anonymous tip, but it's very curious how they were able to figure it out. Because they were given like two or, I believe, two or three of the kidnappers' names. Interesting. I wonder if somebody, like, how we talked about, uh, like, ex-girlfriends... Yeah, like somebody's ex-girlfriend tattled on the bank. I heist. really would not doubt it. <laughs> it's really <laughs> like, funny. Like someone was just petty enough that they were like, you know what? When the second ransom finally went through, um, the exchange went ahead as planned. A police driver carrying the ransom stopped on a highway overpass and dropped the money towards a storm drain marked with a traffic cone. The five mail bit, like so, five mailbags slid through and landed on a waiting pickup truck where the crew could escape. The ransom was for 35 million Dutch guilders, or 15.7 million pounds, which is a lot of money. It weighs, well. holding the money weighed over 200 pounds, which is, oh. <laughs> uh, the pain. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Exactly. So this is just a really big ransom, and they were able to hide the money in barrels in a secluded wooded area. And then, apparently this is very Dutch of them, they rode away on bikes. Did you just imagine, like, five guys, like, we got the money, let's go let's to go. the bar. Uh, Our Saturday hangouts are going to be so good now. <laughs> For real, the bicycles. <laughs> they could buy a literal car now. So were they ever caught? Um, yes. Thank so, God. So, well, first of all, the kidnappers fled before actually releasing the hostages. So that was an issue. So police had to find a lucky lead and was able to discover them alive. They went to the hut and was like, uh, no one's here until a police officer felt the fake wall and was able to push through to find them. Could you imagine being that police officer, though? You're like, I can brag about this for the rest of my life. Yeah, until Freddie, like, they opened up the wall and Freddie goes, took you guys long enough. 
<laughs> I'm really like, how dare you? There's that humor. <laughs> yeah, great. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> yeah, literally. It took you long enough. You know what? I'm just going to close this false door. You can figure it out, right? <laughs> Get out yourself. <laughs> so, um, Hiena Boyard and Martin Erkamps were arrested soon after the invasion of the hut, but the other kidnappers managed to escape. Later, a couple weeks later, Franz Meyer turned himself in, and the other two fled to Paris. So this was Wilhelm Holieter and Cor Van Hout. Both of them fled to Paris and stayed in an apartment for several months there. Once they found out that they were there, they were arrested by the French police on February 29th, 1984. So the Dutch police were like, um, please, please, we need them. Please get them. <laughs> so they were trying to get them extradited, but it wasn't really working. There were mm-hmm. some, like, law problems. I don't know that much about extradition laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are placed in French custody and placed in one of the toughest prisons in Europe where they freaked out because they were like, please don't put us here. Because they ride bikes as transportation. <laughs> yeah. You think they're going to survive in there? Their gang doesn't no. even have any vehicles. Um. <laughs> exactly. So they wanted to be extradited and they're finally granted extradition due to written death threats from people. But the Consul d'Etat that ruled France could not extradite or judge them at the moment. So they were given a residence permit and forced in house arrest in French hotels for a couple months. Oh, wow. They are getting lucky. Yeah. Well, imagine being in house arrest for two years. Because it wasn't until February 1986 that they were able to be transferred to Guadalupe. So while they are being transferred, they were being flown. But the kidnappers refused to fly to the Dutch side of St. Martin because the plane would go over St. Martin as, you know, the plane does. <laughs> Right, but why? They got routes. They got routes. Um, because I was the Dutch side, they were scared that the Dutch police would stop them in the air and be like, "Bring them here." In a helicopter? How? I don't know. Okay, they were stressed. Um, Do you think how funny would it be if like somebody sat in the like the police sat in the back, and then as they're flying over, they're like, "Excuse me, you're under arrest. <laughs> they're ready to go." <laughs> well, they were scared, so they were taken to Saint Bartholomew, which. Um, it's like an island, but the islanders mm-hmm. did not want them there because they were like, I don't want kidnappers here. Obviously, So it became yeah. unsafe for them to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so but eventually they made it to their destination. It was a whole thing, though. Wow. Two years later, they were extradited to the Netherlands. So eventually they were extradited. It's such a long process. And that's when they were given their sentences. So Martin Erkamps was sentenced to eight years in prison. Uh-huh. Jan Bolliard was sentenced to 12 Van Hout and Holieter were sentenced to 11 years because they kept in account the amount of time they were in, like, house arrest in that mm-hmm. prison as well. Yeah. Um, Franz Myers was actually giving to a psychiatric examination, but he escaped from a mental hospital in January 1st, 1985. Mm-hmm. He was found by a crime reporter in Paraguay years later, but he had already started a family there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he was arrested and four years later extradited to the Netherlands, where he was put in prison, and then in 2005, he was released, and he returned to Parkway. And that is why my parents worry about me. Wow. What a crazy story. This is probably the least realistic story why my parents would be worried about me, because my parents do not have that kind of money. (laughs) (laughs) I'm currently watching um, Night Stalker. Nice. My mom's watching Hannibal. Okay. I started it, got halfway through, and then opted out. So how do you feel about Night Stalker then? It's okay. It's good. I mean, I already know the story, 
but I've been really enjoying how they're like interviewing the law enforcement agents that were involved, the detectives. That's cool. Um, they're telling just like the story of like how they found him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting to me. I've obviously heard the stories before, but I think from hearing it from like the people that were actually physically there plus the victims, um, I think they're doing so far a good job. I'm on episode two though, so That's things cool. may change. But we'll see how you feel next week. Yes. We'll see. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So is that why your parents are proud of you this week? Um, sure. I'll go with that. My parents are proud of me because I continue to do research on too many things and I have just too many fun facts. <laughs> yeah. So why are your parents proud of you? My parents are proud of me because I just turned in a paper for to get a human rights certificate to my school. Okay. So um, I'm almost done. Like I graduate in a couple weeks, like two uh-huh. weeks really. Which is so exciting. And I guess right. my parents are just proud of me because I got LASIK and survived. Yes. I was going to be mad if you did not mention that again. Yeah. I, like, my mom, that is a lot of courage, I think. Well, my mom <laughs> got it done um, a couple years ago. And she told me today, she was like, honestly, I didn't tell you everything because I didn't want to freak you out more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm happy you finished. I'm like, thanks, mom. Thank you. Love that. So yeah, they're very proud of me because I survived and I'm paying for this on my own. So this is actually mm-hmm. my, my big, big first big girl purchase, I would say, because mm-hmm. it's a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> I I can imagine. Yeah. So yeah, that's why my parents are proud of me. That's awesome. I'm happy yeah. for you. Thank you. It's crazy that you woke up and you could actually see. I could see. I know. Yeah. Kind of. I had to wear uh, these really weird eye shields for a while. I look like a bug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, but eventually, in a week, I don't have to wear those anymore, and it mm-hmm. should my eyes should be completely better. So I'm excited. That's wild, right? So, uh, should we wrap up? I think we should. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys, to another week of our wonderful podcast. We really appreciate all you guys supporting us and always there for us and tuning in every other week. Um, you can listen to us on all major streaming forms, platforms, as you know, uh, and we'll be back next, the third week of February, right? Mm-hmm. You can follow us on Instagram at why my parents worry or why my parents worry about me. You can email us at why my parents worry about me at gmail.com and I don't know, tell your friends and family as always. <laughs> yep. That's it. Everything that she said, I agree with. Um, thank you so much for supporting us. We should wrap it up. Wow. Thanks so much for putting in your input thanks taylor anytime (laughs) all right let's wrap it up Bye. bye